Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the MyCare Champion Cast, a podcast series on key issues surrounding healthcare in Michigan and how you can help protect the health of your community. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Laura Hall of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. In this series, we're tackling eight different issues every other week. In each episode, I'll be joined by a local expert who can help explain how issues like the Affordable Care Act, auto no-fault insurance, and others impact patients and health in Michigan and what MyCare Champions can do to help. MyCare Champions are a group of Michigan residents who care about healthcare in their communities. If you want to learn more or get involved, visit MyCareMatters.org. This week, we're tackling the opioid crisis. This issue is something we hear a lot about in the news, but what's really happening here in Michigan, and what can healthcare advocates do to help? In this episode, we're going to have two guests to help us understand. We'll first talk to Dr. Rami Khoury, Medical Director of Emergency Medicine at Henry Ford Allegiance Health, about what he's seeing in his emergency department and what physicians and hospitals are doing statewide. I caught up with Dr. Khoury over the phone, so please excuse the difference in audio quality for this interview. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis in the news, but what does that actually mean? Can you explain what opioids are and why this is such a big topic all of a sudden? So opioids are... um uh, medications, uh, in addition to some street drugs that all come from, originate from the opioid poppy seed, basically. And they work on certain receptors in the brain. So some of your more common pain medications like morphine, uh, Norco, some of the trade names, Vicodin, right, hydrocodone, oxycodone, oxycontin, those are all opiate or opiate derivatives. And so what are we talking about when we're talking about the opioid crisis? Well, what we're, we're talking about is, is, statistically speaking, for 5% of the world's population, the United States uses well in excess of 80 to 85% of the world's opiates. And when it comes to hydrocodone, over 95%. In addition to that, we are prescribing or have been up until 2015, uh, increasing to, you know, over 240 million prescriptions a year. So we're prescribing uh, enough opiates to last every American for 30-day supply every year. And that's what we had been doing. And what has that's caused is an increase in, in opioid usage inappropriately, uh, whether recreationally or otherwise, causing uh, people to become addicted to these medications or, or dependent on these medications. And the p- number of overdose deaths has more than doubled in the last five years to almost 100 a day now across the country. So you're also with that um, due to cost to get these medications if you can't get them legally or you have been abusing them and you're not getting them from a physician has gone up exponentially on the street, which is have people turn to heroin. So those early stats actually you were saying, uh, you know, the U.S. only accounts for 5% of the population, but we're actually, um, you know, taking, I guess, 85 to 90%. Is that what you're saying? We are using in excess of 80 to 85% of the world's opiates. So the point being is in most other countries, people don't start out on opiates for everything. They are, there's a stepwise fashion to go up to pain medication, and opiates tend to be something you use as a last resort. It's not a first-line medication. And that's not how things have been the last number of years. Uh, um, there was a great uh, um, kind of town hall on 2020 saying how, you know, we went from not treating pain to treating pain 100% and swung the pendulum to the, uh, the complete other direction and inadvertently causing and putting out a number of prescriptions um, that are really high. 
and and people started using them. I mean, for you know, statistically speaking, you know, we could see uh, you you will see a lot of people come into the ED with side effects or problems secondary to opiates that they shouldn't even be on in the first place. So you're saying in other countries, you know, you might start with like a Tylenol or an aspirin, and then you'd step your way up to these kind of more serious drugs that do bring a lot of side effects? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, let's just say this. I mean, every medication has a side effect, and, and we've all heard people say, you know, if I take an aspirin, I take an ibuprofen, it upsets my stomach. Well, you know, if you're on opiates, you will get constipation. Um, if you're on opiates, constipation doesn't go away. A certain percentage of people get nausea for the first three weeks. Um, other other people who are at risk for respiratory problems like your elderly, your COPD and CHF can have respiratory depression in the first 72 hours. That could be serious. So those are all, you know, pretty standard um, adverse events and side effects from the medication that are to be expected. Um, every medication has a side effect. Now, you know, a perfect example is in most other countries, you get, you know, you sprain your knee, um, you get an x-ray, a splint, uh, and, you know, crutches, and then you get a prescription for ibuprofen in the United States, even if you need it, or you just take it over the counter. In the United States, historically speaking, when I trained, you'd be getting a prescription for some Vicodin and really unnecessary. What are you seeing, actually, in terms of this opioid crisis, what are you seeing as a doctor here at Michigan? Well, I started seeing an uptick way back in 2008, and um, it was very obvious then there was a great documentary called the um, OxyTrain. And basically, if you look at the 10 worst prescribing states, it's more or less up the 75, I-75 corridor. Now, if you look at statistics dating back to 2012, they really haven't changed for Michigan. We're still the 10th worst prescribing state in the country, and that's even according to last year. And if you look at our 2014 to 2015 data, we had an increase in overdose deaths by almost 14%. I want to say it's like 13.4 or 13.3%. That's a big number. So what I started noticing, even way back in 2008, 2009, uh, patients were wanting medications on a regular basis. People would be driving from ER to ER um, just to get a pain pill and and not to just get a shot, to get a prescription. You know, why would somebody from Saginaw drive to Jackson for a bread and butter ER condition? For no reason. I mean, they, they, they managed that and then some in Saginaw. We were seeing a lot of that. Um, and then what I started noticing is by, by developing and implementing prescribing guidelines at our local emergency department where I work at and tracking uh, this patient population, we saw a decrease in utilization in the ED, but we saw our initial heroin increase, which is now what's consistent with what's going on in the state. As uh, doctors um, and, and medical professionals are more in tune with what's going on, and we're getting more and more information as the information coming out from the FDA, how these medications, you know, the, the, the uh, dependence and addiction rates significantly higher than they were first advertised by um, some of the pharmaceutical companies going back 20 years ago, um, you saw doctors writing less and less. Well, if you have a patient population that is already using um, whether appropriately or inappropriately, and now they can't get their hands on it, particularly those who are at risk for aberrant behavior, um, then you go to something that's cheap, and heroin's cheap, hence a spike in heroin. 
And I actually read a story recently about, um, I think, heroin use in Ohio. And, you know, they were talking about overdose deaths and things like that. Are you seeing that sort of thing um, at your emergency department? Yes. And uh, we had, we treated uh, last year, uh, fiscal year 2016, January, December, we treated 256 heroin overdoses in my emergency department. This year we're on pace to exceed that. Um, the overdose deaths that are being uh, uh, talked about, a big chunk of them are coming from heroin. You're hearing that every day. Um, you know, through work with our EMS agencies, the medical control authorities, uh, the hospital association, uh, Michigan State Medical Society, Michigan College of Emergency Physicians, and all the work we're doing, you know, we're getting Narcan out there. And Narcan is naloxone, which is a medication that is used to reverse an opiate uh, overdose. Um, is being used more so by medical first responders. Responders and they are saving lives, and sometimes they see the same patient twice or three times in the same shift. That's the central. Oh, wow. In what um, region generally uh, does your emergency department service? Where do your patients typically so, come from? So I, my emergency department is in Jackson, Michigan. But talking to my colleagues around the state, uh, as I am active in the mission, we have patients in my emergency department coming from Northville, Novi, South Line, and overdosing in Jackson. You can talk, go down into Detroit and talk to uh, the docs at Henry Ford, Maine, and some of the other hospitals, and they will tell you there are suburbanites coming from, uh, you know, Brighton and overdosing on heroin in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Point being, no one's immune, and there isn't a single um, entity in the state of Michigan that doesn't have this problem. And that actually kind of leads into my next question. You know, a lot of people are seeing stories about this situation, but, you know, they don't see um, an obvious drug addict, I suppose, in their family or something, and they don't really think it's a problem that's impacting them. Um, what would you say to them? I, I would say that I promise you, if you don't know someone, that one of your friends knows someone. That's how close it is. We pronounce this 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 problem does not spare any social economic status. And where you notice the, the the real increase when when you you know the stigma of drug addiction and and the former stigma of heroin is not there anymore. I mean, there is still a stigma about drug addiction, right? But these people hide it and hide it well. You could be at work and and these people are heroin addicts. I I just read a story about um, two overdose deaths of Akron football players, University of Akron football players, right? I mean, this is a big problem and you don't know who is and um that's a, a, unfortunately the the perspective that society has is that it's you know somebody from a downtrodden area from low social economic status and if you actually look at the increases uh, in utilization it's actually affluent areas that have been really you know that's really suffered and mm-hmm. and you see that the jump has actually uh, gone up significantly in the uh, affluent population compared to previous. You know, you touch on a couple of these things, but what are hospitals and medical professionals doing to help these people with the, these addiction problems? So the Mission College of Emergency Physicians had passed prescribing guidelines for EDs and a patient information. Uh, around the same time, uh, Henry Ford Health System had their own, um, Beaumont Health developed their own Detroit Medical 
center developed their own. Now recently in, in Henry Ford Health System, um, and um, we have uh, put out signage to help with this, and, and it's been uh, looked at very well. In addition to that, there have been um, the Hospital Association has done a lot of lecturing and has done uh, some work to help educate on pain management uh, and addiction and the opioid crisis, and that's been going on for a number of years. Um, and so has uh, the Michigan State Medical Society and some of the stuff they're putting out. Uh, so we collectively are starting to relook at how we prescribe medications, whether from the ED, and in addition to that, um, there has been a lot of education done on the primary care side to make sure that when you do prescribe a medication, you go through the proper processes of assessing patients in every aspect to make sure that the benefits outweigh the risks and to make sure that they're not an at-risk for patient uh, for developing, you know, further problems uh, based on dependence or addiction to medication. So those are the things that are being done, and I can tell you that education-wise, it's much better now, and you hear much more now uh, about physicians prescribing and probably prescribing less. Um, and what's really evident to me is that that is actually happening is an uptick in heroin use, which is, to me, expected. And you talked about this a little bit already, but the um, use and distribution of Narcan is another? Yes. The goal, you know, working with the legislature is, one, we now have Narcan to, um, in not just ALS rigs or, you know, advanced life support EMS rigs, it's now with, like, medical first responders. So there are police utilizing this medication to save lives. Um, so that's one of the things we're doing. The other things we're doing is we're starting to push towards co-prescribing. What do I mean by co-prescribing? It's that when you're writing a prescription for somebody who really needs an opiate, right, um, you are also writing for Narcan if they're an at-risk population. Who's an at-risk population? Somebody who could, who has had a prior issue, right? Um, somebody who is older who's at risk for respiratory depression. And maybe when you're getting these patients, and I know I am and I know some of my colleagues are, if you have somebody who comes in with a heroin overdose in your emergency department, it is not a bad idea to write a script for, for Narcan for them. In, in, and if you look at what the state of Ohio is doing and you're seeing some trend towards that, is that Narcan will be non-prescription over-the-counter. Oh, wow. Uh, dispensed by pharmacists. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest, you know, the average person, what can we do to help you, you know, physicians in our state and um, others who are trying to tackle this problem? One, um, I, I guess for the average person, number one, when you look at yourself, uh, lock up your medications. That is a big, important piece, right? You are responsible for the medication you get, so lock it up. That way, you know, your teenager, uh, for grandparents, your grandkids don't get a hold of them. Number two, when you're done using a medication, we historically like to leave it, leave it around for a rainy day in case you have another issue pop up. Don't do that. Get rid of the medications. Um, you can take them to uh, any of your local police departments to get rid of them. Um, there are hospital take-back days, and you can call your local health department, and they can uh, give you information for take-back programs in your county. So the what can you do if you find, uh, you know, you have a family member with a problem? Recognize that, you know, they do have a disease. Um, don't stigmatize it. Talk about it. It is a disease of the brain. It is like smoking cigarettes to them. It is like uh, high blood pressure, diabetes. So, so one, we need to treat them as human beings. 
Uh, number two, if you're looking for help, you can always contact your local emergency department and they can give you some resources for local places that you can help get help in. You could look up yourself, contact your local um, law enforcement or county sheriff. They can probably uh, give you some information as far as uh, where are the areas that you can get uh, help for addiction. You can also contact some of your uh, county's uh, mental health uh, agencies um, where they they actually do some of that stuff themselves. So there are a lot of things. You, there's a, those are stepwise ways. Um, and I think it, you know at at least at emergency departments we tend to know where you can get help if there's help available. Unfortunately, uh, like other mental health issues and substance abuse issues in the state, unfortunately resources are still lacking. Are you familiar with many things that people could do to try to help? Well, you know, one of the things to recognize is, one of the things I notice, and, and I'll kind of piggyback on the comment from before, what the average person can do. One, look out for signs of addiction, changes in behavior, um, people uh, um, not hanging out with the, normal, the, the people they normally hung out with, people becoming more, uh, you know, becoming quiet, um, suddenly losing their job, suddenly, uh, you know, um, not involved in their normal routine, unhappy. Those could be signs of addiction. Um, in addition to that, for your children, you know, count your pills. Look to see if your children, how they're behaving. Talk to your children about it. We have a lot of parents um, historically talk to their kids about alcohol and marijuana, but they don't talk to them about prescriptions and opioids and heroin because they don't view it as at risk for them, but it is. And so those are the things you can do. Is there anything else that you want to add or make sure that comes across with people? Yeah, we need to do the right thing as far as medical society goes um, and, and make sure that our future practice does not uh, continue to create this current problem of heroin addiction. Unfortunately, the current guidelines and practices are to prevent further problems. With the, with the current heroin addiction, we need to come up with better solutions. And I think first and foremost, as a society and even as people, we need to not stigmatize it and treat it as a, as a disease. And treat it like we would look at somebody who is a diabetic or like we would look at somebody who has high blood pressure. They have a disease, and, and we need to treat it as a disease. And, and once we recognize that, then we need to look who's at risk for this disease. That way we don't send them down the wrong path in the beginning. Next, we'll be joined by Paige Foltz, Director of Advocacy at the MHA, for information on the legislative side of this issue. In our previous conversation, we learned a lot about the background with the opioid crisis here in Michigan. But what's happening on the legislative side to address this issue? So overall, I'd say the big piece was uh, launched at the end of March of this year. And at that time, Governor Snyder and Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly and a dozen lawmakers from each side of the aisle introduced a bipartisan opioid package. With that piece, I would say that components of the package included ideas from Governor Snyder's Prescription Drug and Opioid Task Force. So at that point, um, the MHA was involved on the task force. We had the privilege of being part of it. And I think that it was a, a great experience for us. We were able to give information and help with some of the ideas that would be shaping the future policy related to the opioid epidemic. Being healthcare providers, we know firsthand um, the devastation that this epidemic is causing. The, the centerpiece that did come from the task force uh, was a recommendation to roll out uh, or upgrade Michigan's 
automated prescription monitoring system. Uh, and since it's a mouthful, it's, it's more basically called MAPS. And with this system, it was uh, created in 2003, um, but we were able to update it through um, appropriations that happened. And so the state of Michigan, when it did the upgrade, it's, they're hoping that physicians will be able to run these reports um, and track what prescribers and dispensers are doing as another tool to make informed medical decisions. So MAPS does track um, a patient's uh, medical prescription history. So it is different than, than an electronic me medical record, but it works hand in hand. The MAPS system, so basically, to make sure I'm understanding it right, it is no matter what doctor I go to, no matter what facility I go to, it is tracking what opioids and medications are being prescribed to me. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yes. So actually, under Michigan law right now, there are certain people who are required by law to report into MAPS. And uh, pharmacists are one of them. It's pharmacists dispensing prescribers, uh, which is a physician that has the ability to also dispense medication, and then veterinarians. So currently in law, and that is continuing, it, you have to report into MAPS. And the website is free for all users. You, you log in, and as a physician um, or a physician delegate, you have access to be able to review what has been prescribed. Uh, the idea behind MAPS, which was, you know, has the idea since 2003 to now, um, is that if you can see the patient's history, it will just help you make more informed medical decisions. Um, it shows you whether or not uh, there are any red flags with the type of um, care they've received in the past to ensure that no one is, is doctor shopping and has come to you um, for medication that might be used uh, in a way that's inappropriate. What's the next step with these different uh, legislative pieces? So both sides um, of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, and the executive office are pushing to move the opioid package that was introduced in March uh, through the chambers. Uh, the House and Senate have each been able to move these bills to the opposite chamber, uh, and testimony has been happening since early fall, and it's continuing all through fall. We actually have testimony coming up uh, in the House uh, and next week. A big part of this podcast is um, kind of connecting people who care about healthcare with ways that they can help advocate the MyCare champions. Um, what should they be saying to lawmakers or what, they, what can they do to help with these efforts? I think the big piece is we need to ensure that there's a really good balance with patient care and being able for patients to manage their pain. And we want to make sure public policy doesn't interfere with that process. I understand the opioid epidemic is on the rise and we're very committed to fixing that, but we also want to make sure we're not harming patients in the process. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Dr. Corey and to Paige for being our guests this week. To recap a couple of key takeaways, the opioid crisis is a growing concern in Michigan and something we all need to work together to solve since it's impacting every community in our state. For MyCare Champions, you can help by being diligent about locking up and properly disposing of your medications and by having conversations with your medical providers about what's realistic for pain management when that's needed for you or a family member. We're working on the legislative side, and we'll keep you informed when you can lend us a hand on specific proposals. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let us know what you think and if there are any questions you'd like to ask at MyCareMatters.org. And be sure to join us again in two weeks for the next MyCare Champion cast.